it's just you should, if you can do it the right way you can get away with it and i always sort of try to sometimes say silly things in my podcast that it's obvious i'm not being sincere you know it's like very like some of the things i think i've said something before like you know donald trump was just the greatest guy to ever be the president and quite clearly i'm being facetious you know but some people might be like and there's a sound clip of him saying he's the best guy and his and his policy on migration is fantastic and i'm like no that's just i'm being completely completely facetious here Welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Dave Elliott, the Northern Irish comedian, was my guest on today's show. Dave has become, in his own words, um, almost an elder statesman of the Northern Irish comedy scene, having been around now for seven or eight years. He's completed his first big tour, entitled Dad, a ripoff of Michael Jackson's Bad Album, and, and pre-COVID, was hosting the comedy night at Pug Uglies in Belfast. Dave has, just like us, recently moved his fantastic comedy podcast, The Sly Guy Podcast, across to video and YouTube, so I thought I'd get Dave on the show to talk about comedy, podcasting, censorship, and his life as a comic. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list, and don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. So, here's Dave Elliott. As I mentioned, it's one of the first video interviews I'm doing, so that that's definitely going to be. I mean, be start 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 with the prettiest picture, and then the rest will just you know it'll it'll figure itself out. Yeah, well, I mean, I was I was searching through like um, Sports Illustrated and FHM magazines for like the most beautiful person I could yeah. get on video first, and you you were top of the list every time. There we go again. That's a side avenue that not a lot of people know about me that I am very keen on exploring modeling. You know, plus size, of course, Giacomo, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an interest of mine for sure. I mean, they can do a lot with Photoshop these days. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's, that's, I would definitely need a lot of that, I would say. I would say I'd be reliant on Photoshop, definitely. <laughs> uh, I think you're also actually the first, uh, like, you know, comedian that I've had on the show, which is definitely long overdue. Yeah, I mean, I I did. Uh, whenever you you'd emailed and said some of the people I had all, you had all have had on before, I looked through lists and I was like, they're they're very respectable, um, intelligent people, and so me. So I thought this will definitely be an interesting uh, flip on things for an episode. I'm sure. Well, you know, I mean, Joe Rogan has the biggest show in the world, and he is a comic, and he has mostly comics. Um, so you know, I, I, he's doing something right. So it got it's got to be. There's got to be something there. It's definitely entertaining, yeah. at least. Yeah, absolutely. There's something in here. It's just deep. You know, you need to drill in, but there'll be something. I mean, you you say that as a joke, but like comedy has got to be like there's 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 definitely something about comics that require you to look at the world in a way that you wouldn't normally. Like I think there's a there's an there's an old thing about the jester being the one of the smartest people in the room, like the fool being the smart the smartest guy in the room and being the only yeah. one that can tell the truth to the king but i i mean i think there's an element of that but i know some of my friends who are comedians 
I think they definitely bucked that trend to some extent. Because some of them you do look at and go, how are you able to deal with just day-to-day chores, let alone even getting a stage and do stand-up? But there are definitely, definitely I think there's something in, in a sort of quick-wittedness kind of way. And, and I think there's something in being able to look maybe at situations and maybe deconstructing them a little bit. And I think where we are, being from here, you almost need to have, you know, a lot of things can be serious. You know, a lot of obviously quite rightly the topics here and some of the, the, our history. So like to be from here, you need to sort of take a step back and be able to deconstruct it and just be silly. I think is a big thing. So I think that's maybe, maybe where I would, would try to go with things a bit more, you know? Mm. I mean, like, I think is it? I think it was Freud actually. I was listening to a, a ser- like a lecture series at the minute from Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about Freud saying that whenever you you show something to people and they all immediately laugh, like it's so true that they'll laugh because like the, the comedy is like attacking something that that people maybe don't like. That it's it's something that everyone's kind of thinking, but no one's saying. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's part of it too. You know, if you have that little inkling. And then somebody's, you're almost, I guess, startled in a way. You're like, oh, he's getting away with saying that. And you're like, ah, because he's a you know, the comedian, that's sort of way. So I think, you know, a lot of people have it in them, but maybe sort of social con- constructs and how people ex- are expected to behave when you poke at that and you get out of the pit, people go, actually, you know, I can laugh and that's very cheeky. You know, so I think that's kind of kind of the way it goes sometimes. Like I know for, for me personally, like I find the times I've laughed the most are the times I shouldn't be laughing, you know, scenarios where you know you shouldn't be laughing are the times I find myself creasing the most. Well, it was always like you get dragged in front of the head teacher and then, you know, you, you're, you're sitting there in the, probably the, the most serious place you can be as a kid. It's like, it's like yeah. sitting, sitting in front of the, the principal or, or whatever. And then you can't help but smile. And he's like, are you laughing about this? This <laughs> yeah. is not funny. You, you know, it's not funny. You know, you know, in your mind, it's yeah. not <laughs> I remember once I couldn't shut it up by a teacher and he said, and you were laughing during assembly. And I was, and I was trying not to laugh in that moment. And they actually still shouted at me went, you're laughing now. And I was, <laughs> I can't, I can't help it. I was just in the middle of laughing. So then he said, I don't know what, just go away. And I was like, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I was more nervous than anything else, you know? Mm, I mean, a bit of nervous energy is always good though. If you're a comic, yeah. keeps you sharp. Well, that's the thing. See, now I don't know how, how I'm going to cope when I go back to audiences or stand up again. Because again, I've just been sort of almost anything I've been doing has been in a room, like whether it's podcasting or other things, it's over Zoom. You sort of forget that there are people out there again, you know. So I think whenever we get back to that, it'll be, it'll take a, a little bit of time. Like whenever there was a bit of a, a loosening of, of restrictions here, I did a couple of gigs and I did two in the one night in the limelight and the first one it took me probably five minutes out of the 10 minutes to just get used to being on a stage talking again and then the second uh, set that night was was great so just getting that initial oh no here we are again there's people there what they do how to hold this well you know it took a wee bit of a wee bit of getting used to but then a second set was great fun and then i did another gig so that's this year but like from march i've done three gigs so which is insane you know and uh that second night was just it made me sort of go i love it i miss stand up and now we're back kind of not able to do it again so hopefully there'll be some positive news within the next you know but by new year i would sort of think at the at the, at the latest but again just kind of have to play by it really make the most of what we can but no it doesn't yeah i mean they got that vaccine sort of talked about now so i yeah. think we're we've, we've turned the corner as trump and, and yeah, biden kept so. saying <laughs>
Uh, but I hope so, because again, it just seems like it was never going to end or there's going to be no positive steps. So this is definitely something to look forward to, I hope, anyway. Mm, something positive. But so, mm. you know, there's, there's always a time period before something becomes funny. So is COVID funny yet? Can we make jokes about it? I th- see, see, to be totally honest with you, I think you can laugh about anything if you do it in a right way. You know, no matter how maybe morbid or inappropriate something may be to some person, you know, if it's done right, you should be able to joke about everything. With COVID, I feel maybe it's, it, it might become the hack topic whenever stand-up's back again. There'll be everybody talking about COVID. And that's how do you maybe look at it through a different slant? You know, how do you... How do you go with it that? So I think, you know, if it's done right, it can be really funny. And if not, you know, it might just be grown. Yeah, people are growing. Oh, here we go again. Um, but in terms of like, I guess, appropriateness or inappropriateness of, 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 of joke matter, as long as it's, I think, as long as it's funny and good, I think you can joke about, you know, you can find humor in, in anything at all. You know, even the sort of more, the, the darker, more, you know, maybe inappropriate topics, just as long as you do it right. But that's the thing that not enough people do it right you know that's where where problems arise i think you know mm. i mean I, i'm guilty of having like a jet black sense of humor so um, I, I will laugh at anything as long as it's funny yeah um. and that's the same as me like i even think like I, I don't know whether it's since i suppose trying to write material or think of material any situation you're in like i would sort of my my stand-up would be based almost on it like i'd sort of say it's a wee bit like pulling you know a thread out of a a woolen jumper you know you get a wee idea you think something could this work and then you start pulling at it and go and, and then you sort of add the fabrication to it all as you're going along and you get to the end of what maybe you think a joke is so i think like with that i any situation you're in you sort of go could this be a bit could that be a bit could this be something and i think you know in most circumstances there will be something you know about it like even i suppose we we lost a dog during lockdown as in he got put down he didn't just away you know so uh and uh, it was the most uh, i was so sad about it you know i like, absolutely heartbroken like he's part of the family but now looking back i'm like right that was a rough time but but how can i you know make my my own depression about this be funny you know because at the end of the day he was a wee shit so you know he's a wee shit so i inherited when whenever my wife and i started going out she whenever she moved in she brought this dog here at the beginning didn't like him at all, thought he had no personality, he was a wee jerk, I just, not a fan, and then by the end it was, you know, I was out walking him, and again, me, I'm a very big man, walking around with a sweet shit zoo, and people are quite looking, that's an odd parent, you know, it's a very strange, and then in the end, you know, I just thought this wee, small, strange, little, fluffy dude would bring, you know, bring me so much grief, and I think, you know, in some ways, that's probably quite funny, you know, <laughs> so, you yeah. know, you look at everything, sort of be able to poke at it, I guess. Hmm. Have you ever like written a joke and and maybe tried it on stage and and the reaction was just like oh instead of like maybe maybe the crowd didn't it didn't go well with the crowd and they felt it was maybe in bad taste or something? I think you know, there. I'm sure there's definitely been been some. I remember there was one joke in particular that I did, that I did that again again it, it's about I guess the the construct of a joke and the, and the wording I, I think and sometimes that's a problem for people is that they hear a word and they just go offensive you know but they don't get that just because you're saying a word doesn't mean you're you're actually making fun of that topic so the joke that i had said um 
was actually was um i was when i was a child what was known as a bit of a handful or in today's terms seriously adhd that was the joke but people heard that and they went what he's making fun at what was just more wasn't making fun of people with adhd or adhd as a as a condition but more so the fact that just whenever we were younger and then you know when i was a kid they didn't have diagnosis for these sort of conditions so they're just like see him he's a bit of a handful way and run about the garden and this and that so you didn't have those diagnosis but i i had some people come up and say i'm i was a bad taster it was really offensive i sort of thought well it's a joke at my expense rather than you know at a condition but again you know some people will that's part of part and parcel really of it if you say things you need to be able to think justify it and to justify it in comedy to me it should be funny and not directly aimed with malice i think is probably the way to to put it you know if you, if you there are, have been times i've seen people do jokes and you, the butt of the joke is malicious or what they're saying is hateful you know and there's a line between you know that i think and what's what's funny because some like again if i was at a gig and there was maybe guys who were coming through who maybe didn't didn't really know themselves yet and they'd say things i'd be like look at watch that because maybe that'll you know cause a bit of grief maybe try it this way or do it that way and i think that's probably the way to do it but i mean you know, in today's culture, some people would be like, nah, it's the end of them. Never have them back. But I think, you know, it's, it's learning. You're always learning. I think with comedy, it's something that keeps, you know, you, you can keep writing about your experiences every step of the way, really. So, um, yeah, you definitely live and learn. And I've definitely learned some some lessons in my time about bombing and, and being, you know, having awkward after after gig moments, trying to just run away from gigs, being like, just you keep the fates fine. I'll see you later. You know, just getting out of places. So, yeah, there's that. I think that, that sort of, when you get used to um, bombing and having a terrible time, you really, it makes you appreciate the, the good ones better, you know? Mm. I mean, like, that's something I've heard from a lot of comedians when I've been listening to, to interviews with them. It's just that you have to go up and you have to bomb. You have to be bad mm. at it for a while before you're going to get anywhere. And I, I'm, I can't think of, of anything, like any other career actually, where you have to go through like that very, very like exposed period where there is no way to practice before you're on stage. Yeah. Like it's not like like playing the guitar. Like 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 yeah. I, I'll, I'll admit when the first times I ever played gigs, I was still awful on my guitar. Like now I think I'm about passable, mm. but it was like I, it was always on me. I could be at home for six hours and just practice, but you can't really like practice comedy without an audience. Yeah. Like how did how did you find that? It's see to be honest. Whenever I I started doing stand up, I think now probably about for I've been doing it for about eight years, which in in the the grand scheme of things is probably not that long a time. You know, maybe in in the local scene, it's it's an age. Like I would probably say I'm one of the sort of the elder statesmen nowadays. But um, when I started, I was actually in a sketch group, so we we had been doing sketches and live shows and that before. I got into into stand up and it was like I've always been a fan of stand up. I've always enjoyed it, but then I never really thought there was a an entrance point to it. You know, I didn't know how to get into it. And then when I was doing sketches in in a group that I was in, we did the Edinburgh Fringe, and I met people like Shane Todd and Sean Haggerty and and Mickey Bartlett and things like that. And then it was only through that and sort of you know hanging out with those guys over the fringe, going to shows and that that they there were a few open mics and they sort of said, look, you, you're quite funny. Why don't you try stand up? And that was sort of the first times I had kind of tried stand up. And like looking back, I don't know. I, 
I do not know how I got past those first gigs because there was nothing about them that was enjoyable, you know, for the audience, <laughs> for me, nothing. And I, and I just remember other guys going up and doing really well. And then I was going up and just going, what, what is this? And you're on stage and as soon as you speak, if the first joke doesn't even get something, you, you hope the second one will get, will, you know, loosen them up. And then you just keep doing and saying things that you think are your funny bits and nothing's happening. And you're just going, I have another you know, five minutes of this to do. And then I have to walk through a crowded room of people with everyone just going, oh no, don't look at me. Don't look at that guy. Please, no. It's terrible. We're scummed for him. See you later. Um, so I don't know what got me past that initial stage because to begin with it was awful it was so so anxious so like oh no my friends are watching no one's laughing this is terrible that i i honestly don't i think the only thing that got me past it was i think i wrote my first bit that i think was an actual bit you know and i still kind of threw it in there to this day other than that i think i was just saying things with no beginning middle and end and it was just like stupid so i think once i found what i wanted to talk about what my sense of humor was that then made it a lot easier to write and and do bits as well you know whereas to begin with i think you know i i i wouldn't be like i wouldn't be a swear i'm in a comedian but then at the same time i sometimes use words in a flippant way to just you know almost try to shock people and did he just and then by the time they go did he just say he's on another bit you know so i think when i wrote my first bit bit that was when i went right i think i figured it out in my head how to how to do it, and then I think that's kind of what what spurred me on to keep trying, and that's the first bit that got a proper laugh, and then like, right okay, that's the style I want to have, and that's how I'm going to sort of uh, push myself from now on, really, rather than just. I remember I did one bit about in Edinburgh, and I just it was about walking around the streets of Edinburgh, but being sweaty, and I don't know why I ever did it because looking back, it's, I'm embarrassed even thinking about it, and that was like there's no other reason to it other than I was just an unfit guy struggling to walk around the hills of Edinburgh, you know. Very off. Yeah, I mean, but like you, you talked about having like a beginning, a middle, and an end there to, to a bit. Yeah. Like, what, what does that actually mean for someone? Someone who's like, you just watch a comic on stage, and you just imagine yeah. that you just have to stand up there and say some funny stuff, and that's it. That's all you yeah. got to do is think of a few funny lines and talk a little bit, and it's done. But uh, like, there's obviously yeah. a lot of craft to it. Like, what does that involve? Especially now that you've had a little more experience. Like, what's your process of like honing out like a bit or a joke? Like I find, see, not now what I think has definitely helped has been, you know, just by doing a podcast every week, that's been something that I almost now would, if I have wee ideas in my head, I'm like, I want to say this to see if, if it's, if it works and if it verbally comes out how I imagine it in my head. So, you know, that would be how I would sort of road test wee ideas. And if the ideas are funny, I'd be like, I could make that into a bit. But, um, this, the first bit that I wrote was about, um, it was about finding uh, a, a lump in my, in my testicle. That was my first bit of road, and that was true. So this, it starts in a bit of truth, right? So the bit of truth was I did find a lump in my testicle, and I thought, uh-oh. And then you've that dilemma of, you know, do you go to the doctor about it or do you not? And I thought, you know, I should do it. You know, it's a wise thing to do. As, as difficult as that was at the time, I thought, right, I'm going to go to the doctor about it. And in real life, what had happened was I went, the doctor, he looked at it, and he was like, I think you just have an ingrown hair there. And I was like, all right, that's awkward that I had gone in and he kind of, you know, all that. But then I thought, right, that's funny that in my head, this could be something really serious. So that was, you know, was my thinking. Like, this could be, could be terrible, you know, but it was something so mundane in the end 
that how do you build a story around getting to that point that you know this could be really serious you could have a message in there and then the punchline is you know it's only so i sort of thought about it right that was fine because the doctor then told me go and sit and get ready so i thought right get ready is a weird thing to do like get ready for a guy to look at your balls weird so i it sort of made that into a bit where i thought right i'll go get ready then thought how do, how do you get ready for that and it's a strange <laughs> thing so i thought like know how like what is ready so i thought i have to sit in the wee table with my trousers down and then t-shirt hangs over that strange so i thought i lift the t-shirt then the t-shirt's in the way and then think i'll just take it off so then the whole bit sort of gets into the stage where i'm just standing naked around the corner and he walks around and then the punchline to the bit is i realize that this is way more awkward than just sitting on the table so what i said to him was what i wanted to say was hey hey doc doc you know what do you think this is but what I, what i said was hey doc what do you think of this you know so it was a bit of a sort of swerve on it and then he was like well i think you need to see a new doctor now because it's very inappropriate and, all right so that was the first kind of bit that i thought there's a beginning middle and an end to that bit and i think that's kind of you know the craft of it you just have to almost learn and watch and take in things and then try to put your wee bits into it you know so that was my, I, that was always my first bit and then i think kind of Everything else, it just once you have that first, it's almost like once you crack it, you almost have like a wee formula in your head, and that kind of works for for other bits really. And that's kind of how I, I put bits together. But the worst is if you write, so that's one bit. So then, what I always struggle with is if I'm doing longer sets. So maybe if you're doing an hour, or or like you're just doing a show, how do I get from that bit to the next bit? Like the wee bit in the middle. Like where's this purgatory that I can kind of you know connect the bits? So as it sounds like it's. Uh, connected in some way when really you just go how can i join up the dots and then that's that's the hardest bit i think is getting from one story to another but keep it a funny and looking seamless that's where the the trick is i guess but you know it's easier said than done definitely that side of things i never actually thought of it like that where you i'd know you know because i'd always been thought thought like thought more about the material than the actual like joining up yeah. of it into like a coherent yeah or even just like something that doesn't seem like it's 10 jokes like read out one after another yeah like, you're almost like a like a comedic dj yeah that's a perfect way to describe it you know how do you how do you segue and because sometimes you, you could be talking about like that story and i'd be like oh what what are baby dogs like you know they're strange we and people are going how can you go from talking you know so you have to then sort of figure that link like the, the sort of i guess the the ligament to connect the next bit on and, and once you kind of get that there's nothing better when you've lots of bits and you almost take like a jigsaw you've all these different bits and you can go right this will go there that goes there how does this be a punchline how does that you know all fit in and you know and even when i did my my last show i did a tour with it and it was only for the the very last gig i was still working on the whole way up up to it and then on the last night when i did the show in the limelight i'd done a show the night before in oma and I didn't like how it ended. I thought, no, the ending has to be, you have to end with a big laugh. So I thought there's one of my, the best jokes that I do in the set I'd, I'd done earlier on. I thought if I could just take that as a bookend and did that at the end and that got a, a great response. So even there's a, a tour that I did of the show, which was like, I think it was eight shows I did. And it was only on the eighth show that I thought, I'm happy with that, you know, and I didn't even get a film, so I couldn't believe it, you know, the, fi the time I finally figured it out, I don't even have it recorded, but that's all part of it, I guess, all, all working and, and building towards um, the, the finished article, which you're never going to be as a comedian, that's the thing, you'll never be perfect at what you do ever, you'll never be, you know, 100%, you know, and even there are guys like Dave Chappelle, 
out there who are very close to it, but they're still he'll probably still be thinking I can improve, you know. So, and that's a part of it, you know, the drive to to make the next one better than the last. That's my thinking. Is if I could keep progressing each show so that it's better than the last one, that's kind of a way to drive you in the, forward with that, really. Mm. that kind of inc- uh, incremental improvement is is like a really like because yeah. you can just say okay i want to do this one thing like a tiny bit better the next time but like over a, yeah. like a long period of time then the, you know the the improvements can be can be massive like but i was curious actually um have you done a lot of touring outside of of northern ireland i know you're in you were in glasgow and edinburgh mm. but um have you done yeah. uh, like shows in england and stuff do you have to alter I've, your material then like a lot you know to- what I would say no, because I think for me, I was very aware that like I like a lot of American comedy and I like a lot of a lot of um, sort of, you know, work like I, it's more the like the sort of comedy store, the L.A. scene, the New York scene. It's always kind of comedy I like. like it's more sort of storytelling, that sort of long form kind of comedy more so than maybe um, sort of more local comedy and, and U.K. comedy, really. So. For me, I always sort of thought, you know, I don't want to have my subject matter being necessarily entirely based around sort of colloquialism or local comedy or local references. So obviously you throw them them in, definitely, because that's part of life. But where I can, I try to make it my themes more universal if I can. Like my last show I did was called Dad, which was the worst title ever. But it just I thought the poster would be good if I just mocked up myself and Michael Jackson's bad album but just changed it to dad and I thought that was cool and looked nice so that was that but it was just about me um having my first child and I thought you know that's a universal theme that people you know can relate to if they've been through it or sort of something if they haven't they can relate to because they know people so I thought the whole show if I did it in Belfast or if I did it in London or if I did it in you know Texas wherever you know it would still kind of have themes that people could laugh at so um, that's how I try to to make the bits to be you know just as universal as possible. But then obviously you throw the wee local segments in where you can, or depending on where you are, you can add wee bits and bobs to it as well. So I try to keep it as more broad as I can, really. Mm. So who were like the people that that really inspired you when you were when you were coming up, or maybe growing up as a as a kid that you thought, oh, you know, I really like that guy, or maybe when you started <laughs> comedy, you were looking to for for inspiration. Yeah, well, I think it's it's a strange one because whenever I, I I sort of remember watching stand up more so when I was a teenager. I always loved the Ventura films, and I loved Austin Powers and things like that were the first kind of films that would stand. Even Home Alone is probably not really a comedy film per se, but I thought it was so funny, and it was through that that I thought, you know, I, I like you know that's sound really simple. I like laughing, you know. I like you know I would be into comedy films and things like that, and then just. The older I got, the more I sort of, you know, like I like I like getting the sitcoms, like like The Office. I love The Office. I love Peep Show, things like that. And then I thought, you know, that's just really great. And that's what sort of got me into liking Ricky Gervais. To me, he would probably be, you know, as close as what you know. If you could emulate anybody's career, it'd be him for me because he just he does the the comedy he likes that he uh, can stand over and enjoys doing. And also, he, he writes a lot of stuff, which is, is is really, really great. Like, The Office, to me, is as good as a sitcom as you're going to get. And then even Afterlife, recently, I thought was brilliant. And there are a few things along the way that, of his that I go, ah, Ricky, why'd you do that? But, you know, all in all, I think he's 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 really good. And then, obviously, a lot of 
lot of American comedians as well. I'm I'm, I'm quite in, into it at the minute too. Like obviously Dave Chappelle, I mentioned, I think he's phenomenal. Like and even probably less um, obvious for I guess my sense of humor would be Jerry Seinfeld. I'm a big fan of his. I think um, in terms of I suppose when you're younger. I think you think more like, oh, these guys are naff, you know, like what's Jerry Seinfeld. He's, but when you get a bit older, you look at him and you go, that guy is the most successful comedian, probably of all time. Anything he turns his hand to is perfect. He's still going out. He's still doing the comedy clubs to this day, popping into spots. Um, we were in New York a couple of years ago for a friend's wedding and went to see a, a guy that, that I, I like, Adam Ray. And when we were there, the MC was like, oh, this is one of the best clubs in the world. And sometimes people just pop in to try things. And this is the, the lucky night for you guys, Jerry Seinfeld. And I was like, what? Jerry Seinfeld's here? And my wife didn't know who it was. So she was kind of like, why are you so excited? And I was like, that's Jerry Seinfeld. And she was like, well, you're like a child? And then I, I remember saying to her, I was like, you don't know what this is like because she's a nurse. So I went, this would be, to me, to, for you, what this is like would be like if, if Florence Nightingale just arrived in the hospital, that's what this is like. And she was like, again, this is what my wife not even being, you know, tuned in. She went, but she's dead. So that would be more impressive. <laughs> and I went, yes, it would, but just, just let me have this moment, please. So, and then he came on and he was just, he was just really, like, it was just easy. You know, it was that level of just, this is just easy. Whereas I know when you do gigs, there's so many factors that, play into it like I, I would like to just be easy all the time you know but there's sometimes you turn up the gig and maybe you've been working or something in the day and you're shattered and you think flip sake could be bothered with this and then as soon as you go on get a first laugh you go I was worth it you know you're into the groove and that's fine but that sort of I guess period before if you're in a venue and you're not feeling it you're going oh I could just be home on my bed now but then as soon as you get microphones great you know I think that so yeah, just a variation of people I like to I like to watch. So now that now that I'm older and I have more respect for my, my the people who have come before me, I think that's a thing. When you're young, you're almost like, oh, these guys are wicked. I'll be better. You'll never. These guys are the masters, you know. And you have to just look them even sort of on a on a local level. Um, I remember sort of growing up. I like give my head a piece. I think everyone did. And then you sort of get to maybe your late teens when it's not cool to like give your head a piece anymore. And you're like, or you're just like, nah, that's a little crap. You know, I don't like that at all. And then now you, you see like Tim McGarry do stand up and you go, he's a genius, you know, and he's got it figured out. You know, like I think you have a, a belief at the beginning. You're like, I'm going to come in. Like when I was in the sketch group, I thought we we're going to Edinburgh Fringe. We're getting signed. We're going to Saturday Night Live. Easy, one run at it, and that's it. You know, totally fairy mice land. Like, whereas now you realize, oh, it's such a craft. You have to work and work and work. And then, like, just seeing, seeing how good Tim McGarry was was just, you know, unbelievable. And now I just want to also point out, though, that, that Tim is a very, you know, he's a very dodgy guy. So if you ever see Tim, just steer clear of him. You know, very dodgy. And um, wouldn't recommend talking to him. He's, he's funny on stage and on camera, but personally, very, very angry man. You know, very angry and aggressive. So steer clear of Tim McGarry. I just want to say that. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's good advice for people to think, think you're going yeah. to up to him in the street. And like, he, he stares now when people, if they see him, they always shout, da! And then what you don't know is he has a wee book that he carries with him and he's a very, very quick artist. So he gets out of his wee notepad and he does a very quick sketch of the person who does that. And then he just puts it away in his pocket and he remembers them. And then he, he always writes underneath it 
in the long grass so he always he'll get you so don't do that or, or tim mcgarry is like the boogeyman in some respect he'll haunt you he'll hunt you down and get you so yeah just be you steer clear of him uh, that's amazing because he seems like such a chilled out guy like that, that's the complete Listen, yeah i mean he, he, he puts this persona on he, he tries to be a sign but listen he's uh he's he's a very he's a specter i just want to say that he's a specter of a man terrifying like i met i one time on i was on i was on the train to to latitude music festival yeah it's been a couple of years ago and they have a really, really great comedy tent that runs all day, which yeah. is fantastic because it, like, I, I love live music. But sometimes at a festival, you don't want to just sit and like, what, like stand at the back of a crowd or in a tent or in the sun all yeah. day. And, and the comedy tent's like covered and there's sofas and everyone just sits down and chills out. And they have such a ridiculously good line of, of comics. Like I have seen so many amazing comedians there. Um, like I saw Russell Hard. Um, I saw Kevin Bridges. Uh, Al Murray, like there's just the, the list goes on. They yeah. always have incredible people on there. And um, then uh, Dylan Moran was was on for for the weekend. Yeah. And then on he's the excellent. yeah, he's fantastic. He was brilliant. I loved him. Love black books. And then I saw yeah. him on the train back, like for because you have to take the train from oh, I can't remember where to Ipswich, and then you have to change to go into London. So I saw him on the way yeah. there, and then on the way back. On the way there, I was like, no, I'm not going to bother him, you know. And on the way back, I saw him again. I was like, oh, do I go say something? Do I say hi? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Because, you know, Bernard in Black Books is such a grumpy bastard. You don't, you just expect him to be like that. And then I got to the train station in Ipswich where we had to change. And then I was in like Greg's or something. And he was just sat there drinking a coffee. And I was like, right, okay, three times. I am not just passing this third opportunity up. And he was so nice. (laughs) Yeah. He was the nicest guy you could imagine. It's like, oh no, thanks so much, man. He's all right. <laughs> See, I, I think that's probably part part of if you're a comedian, you're obviously so deprecating on yourself most of the time that you're almost surprised people like would be nice to you. What me? Seriously? So, you know, he's probably because like, that that the same thing happened um, whenever I was in Edinburgh. I met Ricky Gervais, and to, as I said, he was my like I was walking down to do a show myself and Aaron McCann. And we were walking down the mile and we just saw these two guys, like young fellas, kind of like posing for a photo. And I wonder what that is. And he looked and it was like, it was Ricky Gervais. And I, and like, I fangirled. I was like, all right, look at this. And then I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to speak to him here. And like, I remember sort of going up, be like, Ricky. And he was like, yeah. I was like, I love you, mate. Can I have a photo? And he was like, yeah, no problem. And I uh, said, yeah, we're busy doing a show here. And he was like, oh, best of luck, guy. I'm just really, you know, like, like, like Dilmer and Black Books, you look at him and you go, he's going to be, he's going to be miserable. Yeah, I thought Ricky Gervais is going to be like, you know, sarky and just like, but he was a gentleman and yeah, really, really nice. And it was just, you know, nice to see someone who you, you think in your head, like, oh, they're my favourite and then their sound, you know, as well, is, is nice to, to do. So yeah, it is, I think with comedians are probably, you know, they don't really get stopped ever. So it's nice when people be like, oh, let's go watch it Nice. Yeah, I mean, I guess from Tim McGarry, never that, approach him, <laughs> never. Yeah, I guess that speaks to like how good a character that he's created, like persona for himself as a as a as a comic, and as like the kind of characters he plays in the shows he's on. That he he is yeah. that miserable guy that everyone like is that it, that that's such a yeah. strong impression that people just expect that to be what he's like because you know how could yeah. a nice guy play someone so miserable? <laughs> yeah. I think that that's that's sort of true, I guess, and 
in the sort of like someone I can't remember who it was said to me, but it was great advice. Was people don't like to hear about you doing well, and I thought, oh, do you mean and like like they don't want you to come on stage and be, oh, life's great, it's wonderful, you know, I've I've got these kids and they're amazing, they're you know, well, they, they like you, come on, go. Why have I ended up in this situation? My life's miserable. This is not that place to save me, you know. They like the misery. The misery's funnier than the, the sort of the joy, you know. So I think once they sort of take that, I was like, yeah, that's true. Like if I saw someone, I'd be like, wouldn't you'd hate to hear them being doing well, you know, or you'd hate to hear them saying, oh, my life's, you'd be like, tell me why you're miserable. Tell me why you're angry. Just get it out of you. You know, that's always to me, I think, the funnier mm. side of things, you know, when people are miserable, really. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, do you find it therapeutic on stage? Or even I mean, just to write the see, jokes itself? Because I know a lot of artists yeah. like speak about their like the craft of, of creating is very therapeutic yeah. for them to help to work through stuff. It it can be good, but it can also be such a pain in the arse. Like see, if you're stuck on a on a joke or you're stuck on a on a build up or you're stuck in a bit, you're just like oh. but then when you finally crack it, it's 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 great. You know, it is such a great feeling. And then the best feeling, nothing better is there's nothing better than doing a good set. So if you have done, uh, if you have a bit that you think in your head, like you almost get excited, like a slightly like smug, like when you see this bit, you know, and you're excited about doing it. And then whenever you do it and it hits, you're like, yes, and there's nothing better. But sometimes, you know, like the actual, there's, it, it's a strange one because I kind of like for a comedian, it's strange to say I, I've had kind of a, happy life you know i i've been everything you know i have not have no real misery to draw on as such i think almost like whenever i do stand up and i do talk about things like parenting and stuff i always do ham it up to the worst side of things but where in reality you know i i love it i love nothing more than being a dad and i love nothing more than my, my kids and the family like but on stage people don't want to hear that you know so i think that's and it is sometimes nice to maybe there are times that i would say things that I'll say on stage and then I will mean it, but because it's on stage, like if my wife's in the audience, she's like, you said that thing about me. Did you mean that? And I'll be like, not at all. It's just stand up though. Where in reality, you're like, yes, I got that off my chest. That's great. You know, that's, and she just like, oh, he's only kidding. When in reality, oh, I mean it. So yeah, that's a release for sure. I mean, that's living up to your name there, the sly guy. You just like slip, slip. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> You have to, you know, sometimes you have to do those things. Like the worst thing, like I find just in general life sometimes, like obviously you don't want to react. Like you know, I'm not a grumpy guy normally, but I do find myself getting stressed out, I think, about things. And obviously in our house too, like I, I get nagged about things probably quite deservedly at times. And, you know, you, you don't want to get into an argument or whatever. So sometimes you would do me things that maybe make you feel better. You know, it's very petty, but sometimes you might, you know, flip your wife off behind your back or something. And in that moment, it makes you go, whew, that felt good. She doesn't know that's happened. But, you know, and then there's one time, I can't remember what it was about, but I just remember thinking, oh, you're doing my head in. And I went, like, laugh behind her back. But I didn't realize there was a mirror in front of her and she had seen me in the mirror and she was, I saw that. And I've just not been able to get away with that ever again. So I was like, oh, it just was kind of, I don't know. So yeah. She's like, no, you meant that. I could see it in your face. I was like, yeah, sorry. You know, so that's, that's my kind of release is to just, you know, that bit. And that's, you know, it's only a joke, you know? Yeah, I mean, you've you got, mean? 
Yeah, you got to be careful though. If you got, if you got, you got two kids now, or is the second one still on the way? Yes, no, I've got two. She's six weeks now, so I'm two daughters and a wife. I'm outnumbered. Yeah, yeah but you got to be careful with the copying. Kids will copy everything. Yeah. Like, cause, cause you'll be doing like this behind their back, <laughs> and then the next thing you know, yeah. like your little kid will be doing, it and she'll be like, "Where did you learn that?" Well, well, I, <laughs> I tell like, you, Daddy, was Daddy? There was that has that has happened, and uh, it was it was really to be fair. I one of those situations where, like we said earlier, you shouldn't laugh, and you have to be like, "Oh, don't say that," but then it's so funny. Um, I I did a did a wee short film like last year sometime called Thick as a Kieran Bartlett that had written and it was really good fun and in that I played a shopkeeper it was just this idiot guy and Ian Beatty was like this like Game of Thrones Ian Beatty was like this uh, gangster boss and like for silly me to be in something you know with him was pretty you know pretty big deal to to do and he just I just remember him saying fuck sake so aggressively and i was like oh. like again i don't know if i'm swearing this hopefully if you need to bleep it but no no just, don't, don't we were worry there. I don't don't censor so, this it's not for children <laughs> okay no no worries so we were we were doing this scene and i remember i was standing there just waiting to do my lines and he was just practicing how he was going to say fuck's sake right and he was getting he's going fuck's sake fuck's sake fuck's sake like this i was getting really angry so it just out of that he did it and it was great and then ever since then if something bad's happened i just go fuck's sake and I dropped my keys one day and went, fuck's sake. And then my two-year-old still running around going, fuck's sake, fuck's sake. And at that moment, I was like, back, you know, back to your childhood when you're with your like brother or sister and you've done something and you're going to tell your mom and you're like, shh, shh, like trying to cover the face and pillow. Don't you do that. I'll give you sweet if you don't. So then she would run into her mom and went, fuck's sake, fuck's sake. And I went, I'm sorry. And she would, you, you said that. And I had to go, yes, entirely my fault. And thankfully, we, we managed to, to knock that out of her vocabulary before she left the house again. So I have to be very careful, if anything. Like the amount of times I've gone flip sick, you know, it's been, been a multitude. But anytime I say anything, the two year old just picks up on it. So, you know, she's, she's the one to watch, really. Mm. I mean, I, I know when it comes to have kids, I'm going to have to seriously learn to censor myself because I just swear far too freely. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's hard. To, it's, it really, really is hard not to, you know. And then sometimes when they do something, you, know, you have to just be careful because then you're like, why are you being such a dick? Bad, per, bad child, you know? And it's like, they go, what's that, daddy? Nothing, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it, you know. So it is very hard. And the amount of times I just go, duh, now rather than say it, it's, it's ridiculous. So definitely the bite the tongue for sure. But uh, so you, at the minute you're you well, before the lockdown, you were running um a comedy night. Um Yes. In Pug Uglies. In Pug Uglies, that's where it was. I couldn't I couldn't remember the name of the place. But so the how do you find like being part of like a like a group of comedians like do you do you do a lot of like workshopping of material do you do you like get a lot of feedback on 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 stuff from each other or is it is it just sort of positive reinforcement or is there yeah probably you know it, it's an it's odd because this is something that it, i think has maybe there's maybe an odd perception of, of how kind of maybe we are as friends that people think almost you know we're this like this grip of unpenetrable, these guys, you know, it's not like that at all. You know, it's like, we just, we just, we just sort of hang out, we're just friends. You know, we like, we like to do gigs that we're doing together. That's, you know, in terms of like workshop material, some people are very secretive. They'll be like, oh, I can't tell you, like the, you know, the power of my craft. I can't, you know, and whereas others would be like, oh, what about this? What about that? And, you know, I think in terms of um, 
in terms of like working material, I would always speak to Shane about things. Um, but again, we we sort of met through stand up, and have since then, you know, despite how we perceive per, portray it online or whatever, we're best mates really, you know. And like we would work bits and be like, would this be funny or would that be? And and that sort of would be our kind of way of working things. And I think the the good thing about our relationship is we're very straight with each other about it because you know whenever you do bits sometimes people go oh it's really funny man and then go to someone else and be like dave's got this bit and it's the worst you know to wait and see how he's gonna bomb on stage tonight you know whereas with us we, we would sort of say nah it's wicked or it's or it's good and you know i think that's sort of sometimes too harsh we are with each other but i think that makes you you know uh work on stuff maybe a bit more but i think i think in terms of the scene over here i i think like I think it's a really good scene and I would love to see there be more opportunity for acts because there are so many really talented comedians here and, you know, I just love to see more opportunities for them to, you know, maybe break into television or break into other things, you know, and that's, that's with, with Running Pug Uglies. I, I always wanted it to be a case of, you know, you, you'd have a, a good headliner. Like that was something I, I to me again, you know, to begin with, when I started running the comedy club, I thought, you know, it's a, it should just be a basic formula. It should be, the night should be funny. It should be a decent pub with decent drinks and, you know, decent sound. That's always something that's massively overlooked in comedy is that the sound has to be good. And then if you have a good act, a couple of good acts, it should be a good night. You know, that should be as simple as it is. And and that's what we've kind of been working on and, and it's worked. So I would sort of have a, have a headliner. I would... MC most nights and then have an opener. So it'd have a strong headliner, a strong opener, and then it'll have like an open spot the other time. So, you know, maybe people, if they want to drop in and try new bits or if it's an up and coming act, I'm happy to give them a, a spot. But again, there's maybe this perception that it's like a, a boys club or something, or that's only certain people get on. Whereas honest, honest to God, like I um, would book anyone if they just messaged me and said, look, could I do a spot? I would say, well, if you know, do you have any clips that I could look at? And if, you know, they're good, I'd just give them a spot. Whereas if not, I'd say, right, we'll come and do the open spot, try it out. And if you do well, you know, you can get on. And again, that was another thing. I wanted to make sure that, you know, you you, are, you got paid for the gigs too, you know, because I think that's maybe something that doesn't always happen. So hopefully now it, it has been running for just over a couple of years now and it's done really well. And, and in the beginning, you know, it, it was tough trying to establish a comedy club in Belfast, but you no, know, it's sort of bedded in there now, and it's it's really sort of got a good reputation going. And something probably that I'm the most proud of, maybe in in, in comedy, no doubt, it's one of the things that has been the most stressful, definitely. But also, you know, when it when the it, it's a good night, there's nothing better. Like even during the the, the lockdown when it lo- loosened and Pug we bought a space out the back and opened up the boneyard in town. They said, "Do you want to do a night outside where everyone was spaced out and?" Um, socially distanced, I should say spaced out would, would lead to the wrong connotations there, but um, <laughs> all distance and uh, would you like to try it and I thought, you know, I'm just chomping at the bit to do some stand-up, so yeah absolutely, and it was great as well, so you know, I, I just hope that you know, when things can get back to normal, we can get back to that and, and just have fun really, that's the main thing, you know, I think with comedy everything has to be fun, and I just do want to say too, if anyone wants a spot, get in touch, because the amount of times you know, we here especially, I find there's 
the, the sort of awkward, it, and it is awkward, but it needs to be talked about to an extent, is that there are a distinct lack of female acts here. You know, it's not that, that diverse a scene, and it's not through not wanting to book uh, females at all. The opposite, you know, it's just the fact that there are so few. And then if you add on top of that, you know, not not a lot of people like even like not a lot of people would message me and say, "Can I do a spot?" You know what I mean? That's that's part of the thing, you know. And and I think you know I would like to in the future try to you know make it as diverse as we can. But at the same time, bear in mind the scene here is not that diverse. And how can we then look at it and go, "How can we make it more welcoming to people wanting to try stand up?" Because again, for me, I love nothing more than you know get like I was when we started pugs to give people an opportunity that might not maybe got on and stay the empire somewhere to have you know try to promote local acts and give them a stage because again I know like the empire sort of books acts from from down south or over in England and sometimes it is hard to get on there and and I think you know the scene here is so good it's how can we try to you know make it into what it can be really. Mm. I like that you you've got that kind of mindset like a lot of people would would maybe have like a like a scarcity mindset about it where you'd say, okay, you know, well, there's not much of a comedy scene in Belfast. Therefore there's only a certain number of people who will go to see comedy. And therefore I have to keep them all for yeah. me. They're all my, they're my, they're yeah. my fans. But you, you know, yeah. you, if you build something that people like that, that people enjoy, they'll talk about it and they'll yeah. invite their friends down and it like helps to grow like, like a community. And it can like, it, something I find was, that, yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say something I find from, or I've kind of like discerned from from watching, especially people, groups of, of artists or, or comics that get really successful is that there tends to be a bunch of them all trying to help each other out. And, and mm -hmm. the, whether that's like actually physically like saying one of them gets ahead and then invites like their friend to be like an opener or bring someone on their like show or their podcast, or whether it's like providing inspiration for the rest of the group because you're so close to, to to someone who's doing well you say oh they've tried that that's cool maybe i could do something like that and like even with yeah. just like my friend group i watch like over the last few years like a few of them starting to get real like really good at their job or really successful in the area they're working in it really inspires you to say you know like if they're doing it and i know them and i know what they put in and i know what they're capable of and like i know that with a, a little work, I could I could maybe do the same. Like that, that community I find so important. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a massive thing. And I think it sort of comes really with, with a bit of personal maturity really too. Because I think to begin with anything, you, there's always going to be a, a degree of jealousy in anything you do. You see someone, you'd be like, oh, I wish that was me. But it's all well and good sort of wishing. But it's how do you, you get to it, you know? And I think more recently, I guess, for me, I kind of would have had set goals at the start of each year of what I would, where I would like to be and what I would like to do. And this this year, I mean, the curse 2020, for as bad as it's been, was the first year I, I sort of made a list of things. And rather than just writing down what I wanted to, to do, I, I looked more at how to get there. You know, how can I get there rather? And this is what I'd like to do, but what do I have to do to best give me the opportunity of getting there? And that was kind of the mindset that I've, I've taken forward. Like with my own podcast uh, that I'm doing at the minute, I... I'd started, I just did it to start with in my garage, just on a, on my laptop. I had no mic, I had no video, just me talking. And the reason I started my podcast was because the thought, you know, you, you've guys like you've Shane, you've Colin doing uh, videos, you know, they're doing the rounds, they're, they're helping their profile in the wind, they're putting content out for people and, and listeners and fans to, to get. And I don't really have the, like, I'm not 
handy at all with mics or with um, cameras at all. So I thought, what could I do? Simply just record audio. It wouldn't be too much pressure on my time. I would be able to do something every week. And then just through time, I thought, right, how do I progress it? I've sort of got my listeners up now and, and, and I'm happy with what it, what it is. And, and those early days where I was maybe getting like 10 listeners at a, on a good good week, you know, I thought, well, how at the end of the day, it's not going to happen overnight. So how can I get something out of this? And to me, it was like, right, well, I use it as a, an opportunity to test material or speak, say, like just physically saying things that you're thinking, you know, and sometimes, you know, you think in your head, I, this might be a bit controversial, but I can turn it around. And then we said in the podcast, you sometimes go, nah, absolutely cannot. So mark that off the stand up list. So then I, I started doing that to get something out of it for myself, but also be able to put out material every week because that's just what I could, what I was capable of really at the time. So now thankfully sort of the next step was to move the video and then thankfully I've been able to get a producer on board who makes it look really good. So, you know, it's just, it's all about, again, slowly progressing. Like that's what I say to anyone that asks any sort of guys who are starting to do podcasts now. Like, do you have any advice on doing podcasts? And I'd say, yeah, my advice would just be, be consistent. So the audience know there's going to be a podcast out every week. So no matter what, even if you, if it's going to be a, a lesser podcast, don't have to hit every single week, you're going to get sort of dips and, so just make it consistent and, you know, put a bit of effort in it and stick with it because there will be times where you're going, oh, this is, why am I doing this? But just, you know, if you stick with it and you put the work in, it'll get there, I think. So, yeah, that would be, pardon me, if I do any advice I would have really in terms of podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the, the podcasting thing, you're, you're, you're 100% right. And I've been there with 10 listeners, trust me. Uh, at the start, it was... Uh, and also, like, do you, do you find yourself listening back? Because sometimes, like, at, at the minute I'm putting all of my podcasts on YouTube with just, like, a little, yeah. like, audio graphic, um, like, yeah. the, the old audio ones, just so the, port, like, the full portfolio is there before I start moving to actual video. Yeah. And, like, sometimes I'm listening back being like, oh, my God, people were listening, A, to the way I was yeah. talking, and, like, B, just, yeah. like, my, my quality of audio production this year has just, like, got so much better like i learned what i was doing yeah. and i got a good mic and yeah. and figured out how to how to produce it and cut the noise See, out and <laughs> but that's that to me i think is something like that i feel I'm, I'm sure you probably are the same that you know pride in that it started off with something and you're you're always working at so how can i work on the sound how can i work on different elements and for me moving to the studio was more, as well as just being a visual podcast i thought now i've you know, better mics have a better setup, you know, so that'll hopefully improve as well. And it's nice to be able to think that it's like, like I was saying earlier, you're never the finished article. There's always th wee things, wee changes you can make to improve. So I think, you know, in terms of podcasting to sometimes, you know, I, I think you're, you can probably be too harsh on yourself, maybe to an extent and, and maybe, but sometimes you have to take a wee step back and, and maybe look at where you've come from to go, oh, we're on the right track, you know, and I think as long as you're on the right track going towards what, what your goals or targets are, you should always be happy with yourself, really. Yeah, no, like sometimes you can you can be like, oh, this is taking so long to get anywhere, and it's I put in weeks, and yeah. you know you, that that graph of listeners like per week is just going up very slowly, and you're just and yeah. sometimes it can be real frustrating just to just be like, you know, how what can I do here? And the, like on the the honest answer with this kind of format is just keep doing it. Uh, you yeah. have to get you have to get Absolutely. good. Because like talking, like interviewing people and, and talking, especially when there's an hour long conversation, 
um, which I hope this has been ent entertaining for people at least, um, not just for us. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it takes so much practice to get to get get good at that kind of skill, and and you just have to yeah. and and to build an audience that's that's going to be willing to listen to you is is it takes it takes time to find the audience and to to like cultivate yeah. it and and build it and and grow it to a, to a point where you can say i can put something on and know people will listen to this so it's it's a real yeah. like you have to yeah i find that it's occasionally frustrating but like you do have to con con continually remind yourself that that yeah you've got you've got to build and it's a slow it's a slow old slow yeah. old road to the top and at the end of the day, if you, if you stick at it, you know, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a good harvest. If you stick at it and all the right ingredients are put together, you'll hopefully reap the rewards. But like even whatever you're saying, like how things, you know, can change and how you have to adapt to things. The first week I did the video podcast in the studio, it was so different because I had been almost in my dining room by myself, able to say what I wanted. No one, I could just look into the mic or look anywhere. There was no, whereas then there's a camera. I'm like, where do, where do I look? There's a producer here. Can I say, you know, and it took me a couple of, of goes to be comfortable with them being in the room again. And, and, and it's just, I suppose, adapting to, to what you're trying to do. And, and if that's the way you want to do it, you know, just, just practice at it really. And then you, you sort of get comfortable. And then hopefully once you're you're sort of comfortable with doing it, the, the other stuff kind of falls in place. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I enjoy now doing the podcast. Like I'm, I look forward to doing that. It's almost like a, like a highlight of the week almost now, you know, especially in these times, you look forward to getting out. And again, for me, like I, with my podcast, like to say things that are silly. And like, I think now it's like at the start of lockdown really, or, or there seemed to be, a big push to like censorship really and to, and and people were like oh i can't say this or i can't do that or i can't joke about this topic and and then people are sort of going oh can i make these jokes and i sort of thought you know what as long as like i said, I said earlier as long as it's funny and you're not being malicious you should, if you can do it the right way you can get away with it and i always sort of try to sometimes say silly things in my podcast that it's obvious i'm not being sincere you know it's like very like some of the things I think I've said something before, like, you know, Donald Trump was just the greatest guy to ever be the president. And quite clearly I'm being facetious, you know, but some people might be like, and there's a sound clip of him saying he's the best guy and his, and his policy on migration is fantastic. And I'm like, no, that's just, I'm being completely, completely facetious here. So no, don't take that. But then I think when people are like, they're obviously, they know he's joking now, you know, I think that's nice. And sort of comforting to know the audience knows when I'm joking and when I'm being serious, you know. So like, that's yeah, yeah. something, you know. Yeah, that Dave Elliott, he hates Mexicans. I heard it. <laughs> exactly, and then I'll be like, no, I don't. And then they'll be listening to the song. That does sound isolated by itself, bad. But that's not not the context that it was in, you know. Mm. So, and again, sometimes you see things written down like that. <laughs> that's awful. If people put into text some of the things you've said, that you go, oh yeah, that's. Not, not how that was meant, but I, when in the cold light of day, doesn't look good. You know, there's definitely that. Like there was a time whenever I was um, being brought in to potentially be involved in a, in a TV project. And um, I had said something on the Boytown podcast with Shane Todd that I did for a while that um, was, you know, it was very tongue in cheek, but also on paper, it was like, and you've made fun of this. Um, television channel which is going to put this program on and you said that this produces blah blah blah, blah and i go yeah oops and then needless to say 
that never materialized that opportunity but uh, yeah and again so sometimes you have to either you know super censor yourself or just you know know that the people who are listening to you again that's a beauty podcast people start to get to know you as a person and know what your your sensitivities your sense of humor is like and they know when you're joking they know when you're being silly and they know when you're being serious too i think that maybe gives you a bit more artistic license to kind of say some of the more silly things or and you know again because you're a stand-up you're locked in here in the house you can't get in front of a live audience you sometimes do go a wee bit bigger in the in the podcast, and I think that's a good thing about having a having a producer in the room. If he's laughing, you go, oh, "That's okay." You know, if he's, if you're saying stuff and he's going, you know, you're going, "Oh, you know, maybe this isn't coming across how it should be." You know, so that's a good benefit to have. Yeah, I mean the the censorship push around that start of lockdown that was really weird. Yeah, I I I, I was yeah. so confused. I'd like shows that. The one that really could, like the two that confused me most were Peep Show and uh, yeah. Benidorm. Benidorm was the was the weirdest yeah. one for me because like yeah. I, the fact that you could even consider that like Benidorm was was like that the writers were in any way prejudiced. Like the most wholesome yeah. character in that show is a transvestite. Like the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> like. like yeah. <laughs> Like if you're a bigot, you're not gonna make a transvestite like the moral center of your show. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I just, I just I, again, I just think that you know, if you're like, if you're censoring the people who are trying to make you laugh, that's a problem. You know, the people who like, I, I think any comedians I know, if you strip it all back, all they want is to make people have a good time, have a laugh, have a good time, and like. It's very strange that, like, I mean, for me, I think, you know, I I laugh, I laugh, laugh at anything if it's funny, you know what I mean? If it's, but again, I'm not, I, I don't find myself getting offended at stuff, you know, and I know when people are, like, you see sometimes people on stage doing comedy and you know they're trying for the laugh, you can see it, you want them to laugh, you're like, please get it through, you know, please go through. And, you know, but there are some people that will come to comedy shows and be like, right, Jester, make me laugh. And, you know, they just, they don't have they don't want but the majority of people come to comedy to have a good time and and again the acts are trying to make it a good time and you know i think that's sort of again more often than not people trying to censor comedy are the people who maybe aren't massively into comedy you know mm. it's the people who just well, and, and that's you know part of it and I, and I do think to an extent that if something's not to your taste it's the beauty of the world we, we live in now there's there's options you can you know you can find what it is you're looking for wherever but you know i don't think like for toxic, like I know nothing about, you know, Warhammer for toxic. That's the first thing that came in my head. I know nothing about, but I'm not going to go, oh, stop these Warhammer guys. It's weird that they're in there painted. Because again, it could bring happiness and joy to the people as a group, you know, and I, because I make them to it and know nothing about it, I'm not going to, you know, get at it. And I think maybe sometimes comedy is an easy thing to go for because there are examples of where people will say outlandish, ridiculous things, which you know, are clearly intended a certain way, but if they're taken to, you know, to, to bulk out or feed someone else's narrative, they can do that as well. So I just think we need to all relax. Comedy should be there for making people laugh and let's have fun, especially in the world we live in now. We all need to lighten up a bit because it's grim. Mm. You know, so. I mean, comedy com uh, comedy is all well and good, Dave, but but I mean, Warhammer, that's, that's teaching children uh -huh. about, about death and war. That's not good. You don't want children yeah. getting involved in that. That's dangerous. You know, well, I, you I know, wouldn't be okay I, with that. 
Yeah, well, the, the way I, the way I feel about it now is I think I've I have uh, two daughters. I've one who's six weeks old, and one that's two, and I feel like maybe war and strategy is something they need to learn soon because if we end up in this sort of post-apocalyptic um, after world that we're heading towards, they may, they may need those skills. And again, the weirdest thing of all that freaks me out about everything that's happening nowadays is it was predicted in the Terminator, and that's the now I look at it and I go. Uh-oh. The Terminator was right. Skynet, it's getting us. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. There's, there's, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff we could laugh at this year. Like, yeah. I tell you, I tell you one thing. I am actually gonna miss. I'm gonna miss Donald Trump because he's the like, yeah. He's in, in like most ways, he's the worst person you can imagine. Like every time something yeah. happens, and you just like, if you just imagine the worst way that someone could react to something, the worst yeah. thing they could say to make this situation even worse. Like Trump's on it. He yeah. has got it down. Like the worst yeah. thing you can say. But at the same time, <laughs> sometimes he was fucking hilarious. Like if he wasn't president, yeah. especially if he wasn't president, but sometimes he's just like, this is the president. Like, like subtweeting <laughs> some, someone. But, that, it, but it, it's like you say, it is nonsensical. You know, like that's to, to me, he should never, ever have been the president. But somehow, he became the president, and I and I don't honestly think he ever wanted to be the president. I think whenever he won, he's probably like, "Oh no, <laughs> now I'm going to have to be the president." And I think like Melania, like, did she want to marry the president? No, she wanted to be married to the billionaire. She just wanted to have the, the life with him. And she's like, "Don't, don't be running for president, please, because I'm going to have to do all this stuff that I don't want to do. I just want to enjoy the finer things in life." And he's just like an egomaniacal guy. He's like, "I can do anything I want," and he and he did it. And I think no, I like again. I think for me, you know, the fact that Biden won shows how bad Trump was. Because I mean, you should. I don't think he's the best candidate in the world, but no. anything other than Trump. Now, what I have said, and I think will be great, is I think Trump, unlike any other president before, um, will be like a spoiled child. I think whenever it's all said and done and the dust is settled, he'll be on all the late night shows. He'll be spilling all the secrets. He'll have a book out. He'll be touting everybody. He'll be like, "Will I tell you about the FBI?" And it'll be it'll be great. <laughs> and it'll just be. You know, and I think you'll be watching it, and in your head, you'll be going. He was the president, you know, and I think that's going to be, you know, that that itself will be the entertainment. And I just hope that, you know, hope that the new uh, regime will will bring people together more, and we can maybe, you know, try to. Because anytime you see American news, it's, it's so, it's just so split, and it's such aggression on either side. Everyone's so angry. So hopefully things will settle, and you know, Trump will maybe you know, go back and say to Arnie, you don't need to be the apprentice anymore. I'm coming back, you know, and then people will be like, there he is, the silly billionaire just just running his TV show and not the country because that should have been the glass ceiling. He should have stopped that, running TV shows for countries, please. So, um, but I think I think Trump, you know, it, if it wasn't such a serious job, great entertainment, like you say, great entertainment. You know, like, they, on, a, on the Trump note, I went before the last, election when he actually became president I, I was in holidays in america and i just thought this would be really funny i'm sure i can use this in a sketch and i bought one of the hats i thought this would be i'll use this and see now i feel like if i were to die 
and people were to look through my belongings and they find this hat, I would just be, they'd be like, he is a racist. I'm like, honestly not. I just thought this, I could use this in a sketch. But now this, it's almost like having a swastika now. It means so much. It's like, oh no, I just need to get rid of this and hide it away somewhere. You know? Uh-huh. I mean, the MAGA hats, I reckon they'll be worth a lot of money in like 30 years' time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, hold on, I dude. It's a collector's item. It's all right, Matt. Yeah, I won't tell I anyone mean, you're a closeted racist. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, it's fine. But what I would say to you, and I don't know if it's still there, but maybe about three weeks or so ago, I went from Donald Trump's online store just to look at what merchandise he has. And there are some of the most ridiculous pieces of merchandise on there that you could imagine. He is almost a t shirt that says for Trump on it, but it just has any demograph at the top. So you can go past it and say Latinos for Trump's, blacks for Trump's. And even in one that I thought was just really random, Catholics for Trump. Like, and then I thought there was a, who's going to wear that ever? You know, and, and then people are buying that. So I think now that there's going to be quite clearly uh, a clearance sale on Trump gear, go and buy a load of it, stock it under the stairs and then sell it on the Antiques Roadshow in about 20 years. You make a, make a tiny process. That's not a bad idea, right? That looks that 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 seems like a, a nice place to to finish it. Like yeah. some some good sound business advice from um, our our yeah, podcast about comedy. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's it's for sure. uh, it's been a fucking pleasure. Thanks very much. Absolutely, it was, it was great, crack. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget my book, Brexit: The Establishment Civil War is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.